0: Hello, welcome to the Living Open Podcast for Mystics and Seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. I am still getting used to not needing to do a full introduction every time I start an episode. <laughs> Shout out to the new recorded intro and music. Um, but welcome, I'm so glad you're here. Today's episode is on traditional Reiki and decentering colonialism and whiteness in Reiki with Marika Clymer. So, I just want to offer that this topic is so important you know, not just in Reiki but in, in general at large, um, in the spiritual community and quote unquote new age, which is an idea and framework that I truly do not like at all. But <laughs> within new agey type spaces, um, there is yeah, so much violence and so much cultural appropriation and so much cultural erasure and just racism that happens. And, you know, I'm a white person who is in this spiritual witchcraft healing work space. And so these are questions that I'm always grappling with when it comes to Facilitating a practice like Reiki as a white person and working to do ancestral healing and working to reconnect to my own indigenous European practices, my own ancestors, folk medicine. So, if you are grappling with questions of cultural appropriation and decentering whiteness as a white person as well, you are so not alone and um, it's it's really important. It's really important work, so please stay, please listen, please ask these questions, please um, engage in these conversations, even though it it can definitely be uncomfortable. And I'm always available for these kinds of conversations as well. Hit me up on Instagram and my DMs or send me an email or whatever, and I'm always available to yeah, have conversations about these topics and I also am working to share some conversations this year on the podcast around European folk practices and more on ancestral healing as well and one of those episodes I've already recorded with an incredible guest so if you're kind of feeling that cultural void that Marika and I talk about around you know this disconnection from our own practices, I've got you. (laughs) Um, I don't have all the answers at all by far, but I've got some episodes coming for you that I hope will help you in that journey of research and reclaiming and yeah, filling up on our own ancestry so we're not stealing and erasing and perpetuating more violence. So, With all of that being said, (laughs) um, I want to tell you a little bit about Marika. Uh, Marika uses she, her pronouns, and she's a steward of traditional Japanese Reiki ways and guide in decolonial energetic healing practices. She focuses her work on approaching energetic healing and Western Reiki from a decolonial lens, integrating individual ancestral healing and embodiment as well as radical community care. Um, She is a mixed-race mixed-race woman with Ainu Japanese and European ancestry, and she's also a mother, a plant medicine maker, and a musician, and she's really cool, and she has a lot of wisdom to share, um, and I hope as well that, you know, if you are a Japanese person or an Ainu person who is listening, that, you know, you feel seen by Marika's shares and um, that maybe... Yeah, you can connect with her work from that lens as well. In this episode, we talk about Marika's spiritual journey and her journey with Reiki, how she found Reiki, the roots of Reiki, and how Western Reiki is different from traditional Reiki. What is cultural exchange and what is violence and what is cultural erasure? How she has shifted her relationship with Reiki and developed a practice that decenters colonialism and whiteness. Shame and ancestor work, especially for European folks. Engaging with Reiki with respect. Disconnection from culture and from our own ancestral healing practices. Cultivating our own understanding of what energetic sovereignty is and what it means to be a healer today. How she teaches Reiki, being in relationship with the practice, not just the transaction or the consumption of it having a business for your healing work, Reiki attunements and why Marika teaches Reiki without them and a lot more. It's really in depth. There are a couple of moments where we had a poor internet connection, so there I had to uh Crop out a couple of chunks where it was just silence, uh, like Marika cut out, and I couldn't hear anything. But um, I think the yeah, the full essence of the conversation is still here. If you notice, like a tiny gap where it's like, huh, that's why, <laughs> that's that's what happened. Um, so before we get into the episode, I wanted to share. A kind of exciting announcement actually three announcements (laughs) so i was recently on two podcasts these are two of the announcements i was recently on two podcasts that i want to share with you um i went on the medicine bag with Katie, and we talked about deconstruction and religious trauma. And I went on the Moonbeaming podcast with Sarah Godestiner, who I have had on the show twice now, um, for a conversation around healing with the hierophant and religious trauma and ethics in healing work and a bunch more. So I'll link to both of those episodes in the description if you want to check them out. If you're hungry for more conversations around healing and deconstruction and religious trauma, um, I think that they will feel really supportive for you. And on that note, I am opening today a exciting container. Um, it's called HOLY, and it's a seven-week reclamation circle for ex-religious folks who want to create ex-religious community and heal from the impacts of dogmatic religion together. And in choosing the name for this, what I really was feeling into is how religion told us what was holy and what was sacred, right? That was handed to us, that was given to us, and after religion, we get to decide what is holy to us. We get to reclaim our bodies as holy, our stories, our pleasure, our love, our healing, our autonomy, our freedom, our creativity, our resilience, whatever it is for you and for me as holy, as sacred, as hallowed ground. And that feels like fucking powerful work. Um, so it's open for registration today through this Friday, March 5th only. It's going to be a small group, no more than eight people. And there is an application just so we can yeah make sure it's all good, a good fit for everybody. There's one full scholarship, one partial scholarship, um, and I think it's priced like pretty, pretty amazingly accessibly um, for what it is. So. Yeah, the idea and the intention behind it is healing through sharing stories. So six of our sessions are a guided meditation followed by a facilitated discussion and story circle around a specific topic with one session in the middle dedicated to a big breathwork session for somatic healing and processing. So, the topics are around deconstruction journeys, family and community relationships, values and beliefs, self-worth and self-love, pleasure, sexuality in the body, and self-trust and personal power. And there's also a Mighty Networks group for yeah all the connection and community creating between sessions. It's on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern and you can get all the details at the link in the description and check it out and apply and join us if that resonates, if that feels like that would be something that would be supportive for you. Okay, let's get into my conversation with Marika. I hope that I hope that it helps you. I hope that it opens you up. I hope that you learn something and I hope that you yeah, decide to take it deeper after this conversation and maybe make some changes or have some conversations or yeah, just really reflect in a deep way on what's talked about here. So I'd love to hear anything you wanna share about your journey with your spiritual practice with Reiki. Mm, um, so my spiritual
1: journey probably began about 10 years ago. And it took me a couple of years to find Reiki. Um, And since then, my practice has really involved, um, you know, energetic healing, um, ancestral healing. you know, anti-colonial work, um, critical consciousness work um, that kind of all intersects with one another. Um, And yeah, I found uh, Reiki about eight years ago um, and was trained, you know, went through the same trainings that everyone else does where it's, you know, that weekend workshop format. Um, My teachers were white um, and I'm still in contact with them. not super regularly but uh just because we don't like live in the same area anymore but um they're still valuable people in my life um but yeah i mean and we can talk a little bit more about that a little later but um you know i just very quickly realized that you know things didn't feel right and, you know, in the way that I was trained. Um, And so I've spent the last, you know, eight years um, in study as well as practice. Um, And so now my practice, you know, looks, I don't know, not very much like what a typical Reiki practice looks like, Um, but I would say that the Reiki aspect of my spiritual journey and my spiritual practice is just one one small aspect of that greater whole. Um, And so yeah, I'm uh, feeling really grateful to be where I am right now, having my feet planted where I am right now. and. Just, you know, continually looking forward to deepening my practice and deepening my abilities and um all of that.
0: Yeah. Did you grow up with any particular kind of religion or spiritual practice?
1: Mm. Um,
0: no, so I didn't actually.
1: Uh, a lot of people kind of think that I like grew up being trained by like my grandma and my mother. Um But because of both racial discrimination here in the United States, as well as, you know, more complicated issues in Japan, um, specifically, like colonialism, settler colonialism, um, of the Ainu people, um, there was not a lot of spirituality in our house. Um, You know, my grandmother passed down a few little bits of information, some contextual clues. Um, But I would say that the most spiritual quote unquote part of my life was actually given to me through my father who is white um, because we spent so much time outside Um, you know, like every day after school, we lived in a pretty relatively rural area, like where the rural area was very close. Um, so every day after school, we would go fishing or take the dogs out to the river. Um, you know, in the fall, we would go hunting. Um, and that continued throughout most of my childhood. So, you know, even though he is, you know, of European descent, he's actually given me like, the connection to my ancestral practices in such a way that um I wouldn't have had access to those things otherwise. Um and also just like a very deep respect and love for nature. Um, but yeah, we didn't my my father, you know, grew up Christian and and we have some Christian family members and um, you know, but my my mother, my grandmother, not very um overtly spiritual it's more of just like a way of life I think for a lot of Japanese folks um so yeah
0: <laughs> yeah thank you for sharing that um, mm-hmm. I guess I'm curious then about how you found Reiki or how you knew it was something you wanted to work with yeah um so when I
1: first began my like quote-unquote spiritual journey i definitely you know followed the pattern of like somebody who really didn't have a lot of connection to their roots um and so therefore was somewhat of a cultural voyeur i was into crystals super heavily i was into yoga meditation all of these things um and then um i believe it was like one of my friends who was already working with these teachers and they're like qigong yoga teachers who also do so many other things um which i now kind of see a lot of i personally have a lot of issue with just like the cherry picking of like 10 different traditions yeah so um my first reiki teachers just practiced um so many different uh traditions um so now you know retro respectively, I, you know, see problems with that. Um, But at the time, I didn't. Um, And I also think that they are very invested. I don't know, it's it's all very gets really murky. When you start looking at people who have been practicing things for 30 years or more. Um, But my friend was like, Hey, would you like to participate in this Reiki training? Um, And I started looking into what it was. And to me, it felt like a life calling, um, you know, as it does for so many people. Um, but after like during and after the Reiki training that I received, um, I was just like, hmm, like this doesn't feel like home. And which is weird because it should be making me feel more connected to like my ancestors, my heritage, my culture. Um as well as like my own spiritual energy. But I think, you know, it it really kind of hindered that that self-evolving process, that self-expanding process. It wasn't until a few years after that I really started to look more critically at Western Reiki. Um and and that kind of gets us to where we are now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well- Maybe, if you'd like, could you share a bit about um, the roots of Reiki and how Western Reiki is different than that? Mm -hmm. So what we
1: understand as Reiki here in the United States and the Western world is more of a obviously like commodified pre-packaged, rebranded, reprocessed um, traditional healing practice that has roots in Japan for centuries before Mikao Usui. So when we take a practice away from its cultural context and strip it of its, you know, cultural significance and the adjacent practices that make that particular practice possible, um, we're really engaging in a form of cultural erasure um, that displaces that practice out of the culture, um, and that is really too bad because what we end up getting is something that is so reductionist, but then also so far removed from not only the actual practice uh, in Japan, um, but it has become something completely different. um, And which, you know, Cultural exchange is not necessarily bad. Um, it isn't bad. Um, it's when we literally strip the Japanese-ness from this practice that is a that is. Directly like violence. Um, It's when we insert other spiritual traditions, such as the chakra system, into Reiki that that is violence. Um, And, you know, it doesn't look like violence. It doesn't feel like violence because when we go to our Reiki training and we spend a day there, we don't understand. You know, one of my students pointed out like the only reason that a Reiki training can be done in a weekend is because they've taken so much of Japanese culture out. Mikao Usui really challenges the fact that this practice has been carried by medicine people um, for hundreds, if not thousands of years um, and how our practices, particularly like Japanese indigenous practices from like hundreds, hundreds of years ago, as well as like Ainu spiritual practices um, have been under attack by the Japanese Imperial government. So, you know, you see a decrease in not only the prevalence and of this practice, particularly throughout the last you know, century or two Um, because it's, you know, being um, ostracized, uh, criticized, um, marginalized um, by the public as well as the imperial government. Um, And so I kind of forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) Um, But then you have, you know, somebody it kind of resurfaces um, you know in the late late 19th century early 20th century um, and Mikau Usui because of the marginalization of these more indigenous practices um, that have been deemed sorcery and witchcraft by the imperial government um, then takes this practice, removes it from its own cultural context out of this like pure medicine work um, and, you know, strips it of its own lineages. Um, most of the practices that comprise uh, Mikao Asui's method for Reiki are actually deeply embedded Shinto practices, but there's no acknowledgement of that. Um, and I think that that is also very harmful. Um, there's no, you know, this narrative that he discovered this thing, quote unquote, um, really ignores the fact that um, medicine people all throughout Japan have been trying to protect this this very, um, you know, sacred, um, but then also as we see the transition from um, in Japan to being brought to the United States, there's also a lot of changes that happen um, because of uh, Mr. Um And that is like a whole other thing that kind of results in the Reiki that we see today. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thank you for going through all of that. I guess I'm curious for you, how you have shifted your relationship with Reiki and developed a Reiki practice that decenters colonialism and whiteness and is more connected to the actual roots of Reiki and your culture and your heritage.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I think the first thing is really getting educated about critical analysis and critical consciousness getting really clear about what are these systems of violence that perpetuate themselves not just here in the United States but also elsewhere Um, because even Japan has you know very there are some very challenging aspects of Japan's history including settler colonialism Um, so if we don't really if we don't have the ability to look critically at something, we're not gonna be able to see what's wrong with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not gonna be able to look at Reiki and see that anything is wrong. Um, if we ourselves are not doing that very big internal work, um, that work is spiritual, you know? Um, we. The emphasis in the new age kind of spirituality community is like unity and love and compassion, which is all true, we do need those things, Um, but nobody, you know, not nobody, but um, we're kind of just waking up to the fact that um, liberation is about unpacking Your own racism, you know, your own um, biases. It is about dismantling these systems that oppress people, that keep them from being able to actualize their own liberation and fight for their own liberation. Um, You know, so that is a really big component of my spiritual practice is that critical work. Um, And that includes reading books and just being exposed to a lot of, different types of resources, podcasts, whatever. Um, But I think on the other hand, for me, um, the biggest aspect of decentering my Reiki practice from this super whitewashed um, form has really been in rooting myself in my ancestors. And creating a new root system that is truly, you know, authentic to me. Um, and this is kind of also how I teach Reiki, um, because, you know, people who don't have a sense of belonging within their own culture, they don't have like spiritual sovereignty. Mm-hmm. They don't have a relational sovereignty, And when we don't have those things, we are more likely to perpetuate violence onto other communities that make us feel like we belong. And for most, you know, for most practitioners, both white and people of color, Reiki has been a doorway that helps them feel more connected to, you know, to themselves, to the world, um, which is great. You know, that's a beautiful aspect of Reiki, I think, the... The fact that so many different types of people can um, gain so much value from this practice is really beautiful. Um, however, if you don't have a connection to your own ancestors, your own lineages, you are much more likely to perpetuate violence onto other groups. Um, and, and that I think is really at the heart of that issue. Um, so for me, that's really looked like figuring out what the cultural context that surrounds reiki and this energetic healing practice um, more than it has been finding things about reiki itself Um, because because of the history that we kind of talked about earlier this is what i remembered um, Mm -hmm. because of like state violence there's and that's a whole like conversation as to why you know they wanted to maintain power and how they chose to do that however um you know our our traditions have not been very well documented if they were not directly absorbed into state Shinto and so anything that's kind of on the outskirts of that anything that is regionally specific anything that is Ainu um really didn't get written down. Um, And so a lot of it is about getting really small pieces of, okay, this text says that palm healing was a thing, Um, though there isn't any direction as to what that process looked like, whatever. But if we look at the context that surrounds that practice, the worldview, the cosmology, um, the other adjacent practices—that's how we get an understanding of like what Reiki truly is, um, what energetic healing in Japan really looked like, and who practiced it. Um, and so, for me, it's been um, also like committing to energetic healing specifically. Um, over anything else that I might you know find fascination with or have training with. Um, you know, while I do think that there is a lot of value in being in having multiple tools in your toolbox. Um, I also think that um, this whole thing where people just like collect certifications from a million different traditions and practices, is really, really problematic. And you're and you know, I want to teach people Reiki, but I want to choose people who like they want to commit their life to energetic healing, spiritual healing in that way. Um, you know, and have other things kind of complement that. Um and be in conversation and in relationship with that. Like I work with plant medicine, you know, but I don't necessarily consider myself an herbalist. I mean, I don't call myself an herbalist. I say like folk medicine person or plant medicine person. Um, So Reiki and what my practice has become um, is really like, that is my life's work. And I think that people just need to have a little bit more humility or like self-examination and say, is this something that I really want to commit like my life to, or is this just something that's like an extra like certification that I can put on my website an extra thing that I can like add to whatever it is that I'm already offering, you know, like people who, who have salons that do Reiki and like all of these different weird ways that Reiki has been, um, taken, uh, out of its you know, cultural context and significance, um, I think that is really more what has helped me just like my commitment level, my dedication level um, because it hasn't been profitable for me. I have spent the last, so I've been pr- practicing for eight years um, but I did not like accept money for clients or anything, or teaching, I just started teaching within the last like six months or so. But um, my first time accepting money was last fall, mm-hmm. so I practiced for seven and a half years before I accepted any money. And I don't think that that is necessarily. I I don't think that that is something that everybody has to do, but. I do see that a lot of people really jump into Reiki as a way of making money and a lot of um, trainings really have that aspect in like in their training is like, how are you going to make money doing this? How are you going to set up your business? Um, What do you charge? Like all of this stuff, Um, which we can have another conversation about that whole aspect of it. But um, you know, Are you willing to commit a certain amount of time, maybe even two years before you accept money, like what makes you think that you can quote unquote master something over a weekend time. Um, But yeah, so that's another aspect is just like, are you taking time with it. Um, And For most people, you know, a lot of people that I see, it's like they've only been practicing for like six months, maybe a year, and then they want to charge like $200 a session. And, you know, that is just like, why are you here? Why are you here? If you are a healer, you are healing your community. And it's not about the money. I mean, of course, we all need to, in a capitalist, in a violent system, in a capitalist system, I do, you know, at this point, because I'm fully committed to um, teaching and healing work, because I've been a farmer for the last seven years, um, while I've been building my Reiki practice, um, I just, yeah, it's, it's challenging. It's just challenging to me. I don't know. It's,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what you're sharing is making me think of something you wrote that I'm going to (laughs) read, where you said, I feel like at the root of cultural misappropriation and validating our entitlement to be a healer through various paths, we find feelings of inferiority, not enoughness, unworthiness, like my culture is not enough, my family is not enough, and that just feels so true and so true to what you're saying and about how like it seems like there's this reach of like, well, if I can just learn this other thing, collect this other certification, then like I'll be enough. I'll have yeah. the skills. And I've found myself there too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. And it's something that like I have even combated, you know. Um, and so and I think you know, there's particularly for folks of European descent, there's a lot of like shame that goes into ancestral work um, that kind of keeps us from really dipping into those waters or like maybe the connection to the people that we think, you know, weren't as violent is like hundreds of years. And so I think, you know, for, for white folks, particularly like it's, a it's a dynamic process between kind of returning to those more indigenous ways of like your own lineage and really getting into and looking into that while also reckoning with like what the state of the world is right now and what you know having white you know being in a white body means um because we can't really have one without the other um and and i think yeah, it's hard. I I totally get it. And I think because like, there haven't been it hasn't been a mainstream conversation that Reiki is so fucked up right now. You know, not until like, maybe the last year or so people have been starting to really like engage in dialogue around that. Um, because it seems like a lot of people tell me, they're like, yeah, I've always kind of thought like something was off, but I didn't know how, didn't know how. And it's because people don't know enough about Japanese culture to even identify like what is wrong. Um, And so for me, this has been a really big recovery process because of the violence that my family endured both like during World War II, as well as after World War II. You know, I did not, grow up connected to my culture um it you know out of my my elders like own self-protection they chose to be as white as possible um or as japanese as possible because i'm also ainu so i you know i really understand i i feel that loss and i've been trying so hard over the last you know six years or so to really um it's been a long process and you know it hasn't felt good all the time it really hasn't felt good all the time um there's been a lot of crying a lot of uncertainty a lot of unknowns um a lot of like reckoning with the fact that even though i'm like only a very small amount of like actual like ja- ethnically japanese opposed to ainu like reckoning with the violence of the japanese people that i hold in my body because I carry that blood, you know? Um, Here in the United States, we've kind of created, or at least, you know, popularly speak of the Japanese as being victims or like, you know, they're very, we're very sympathetic to Japanese people um, here in the United States. And the stories and the narrative that surround Japanese immigrants are often very challenging, very, you know, lots of trauma. the forced imprisonment, you know, during World War II, um, the atom bomb, all of these like really big sources of trauma. However, really for me, the past few years specifically has been understanding how me uh ascribing to that narrative of us being victims and like marginalized here in the United States and like my own family history of marginalization and racial discrimination, because my, my mom and my grandmother moved here so quickly after World War II, um, it really like, it keeps us Japanese folks from actually reckoning with the fact that we have so much privilege and so much like violent history um, and that we are settlers on this land. A lot of like people of color who come here for specific reasons. Like my grandmother wanted to escape poverty. That's why she came here. That's why a lot of people come here. But because we are adhering to this narrative of like being marginalized because of you know our ethnic background, whatever, um, that really keeps us from acknowledging the fact that hey, I am a settler on this land too. I'm a settler on Duwamish land, Tulalip land. You know? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's been a really challenging process to, like, look into all those things. And not only, like, I'm a settler here, but there are parts of my identity that have literally colonized other parts of my identity that have perpetuated genocide and violence on other parts of my identity. And how do I reckon with that? That feels like shit. You know? That does not feel good. Um, And so, yeah, but I would say that like to everyone that our cultures, however far back we need to go to to find like the roots of them are absolutely beautiful. And yes, it's gonna take a really, really long time to, to really get to a place where we feel like we know, you know, the heart of our own individual culture that we feel like sovereign in our reclamation of that, our reconstruction of that, a big part for me has also been letting go of the fact that I cannot, I don't have any control over what I do not know. So if Reiki is only mentioned in this like ancient text a couple of times and there isn't a whole lot else out, you know, around it, um, I can't, I can't, um, it doesn't mean that I can't practice it. It doesn't mean that I can't understand it. Um, And really for me, a big part of my own personal work has been reconstructing what it means to be a like traditional Japanese Ainu healer here in the United States. And reconstructing my own identity um, through being rooted in in my traditions, in my cultures, but then also understanding the fact that if it weren't for colonization, I wouldn't be here in the United States. I would be in Hokkaido. I would be in Sakhalin. I would be somewhere the fuck else, um, and I wouldn't have any Japanese blood in in me. I wouldn't be holding that. Um, but that's just not the reality, you know. And it's important that I understand the systems of violence that have placed me here as a settler on Duwamish land. Um, And what it means to to be that bridge between our ancestors and right now, this body, this lifetime. And that it doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to, and that's really not the point. You know, it's the point, you know, a lot of people really wanna get down to like the root of a sui reiki, blah, blah, blah. Like that's not really the point <laughs> um, because even if you return to the roots of like the Asui method, that was just one method of literally dozens that existed at the time. And then also literally one method of hundreds if not thousands of years of tradition And that was specifically designed to displace it from those traditions because of fear of marginalization, fear of being delegitimized as a practice, as a medicalized practice, because Isui also wanted to medicalize this healing um, practice, which is fine. Um, But yeah, it's, we just, it's not about going back. It's about, Uh, cultivating our own understanding of what sovereignty is and what it means to be a healer today. Um, Because when we are rooted in our past, every step forward is like in alignment, you know, and is actually pushing the needle forward. We're not, we're not meant to just like recreate exactly what things looked like back then, because that's not, the reality of what things are now. And so what does it mean for me, as both Ainu and Japanese? What practices am I incorporating into my work? um, To, you know, be uh, not only healing both of those lineages through the unity that happens in my body, through me caring, caring for both, you know, both parts of myself. um, But also, what is it that I want to continue into the future? How can I, you know, carry my ancestors wisdom, their power, their strength within me to pass down to other people? And also, like, for me specifically with like, how I decide to teach Reiki is that I want to like help support other people in becoming more in touch with their own personal power, their own personal lineages, and having that be a locus point for their Reiki practice and like their spiritual practice moving forward.
0: Yeah, I feel like this piece of ancestor work and connecting with our own lineages, I mean it's so important for everyone and I think it's really important what you're speaking to for white people because we have a lot a lot of healing work to do in those lineages and we also can go back and I think it's so important that we do to touch the parts of our lineage that's like a really long time ago before Christianity swept over Europe when we had our indigenous European practices and how when we yeah can root into those things and not feel that emptiness then mm-hmm. we're not trying to like fill up and steal from everybody right. else's culture and yeah. we can draw on our own and yeah actually appreciate other practices and not right uh, just take
1: yeah. totally totally actually be in like sovereign relationship with other people and other practices
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. something I'm curious about since you mentioned that you teach Reiki and I know that you teach Reiki, but I would love if you could share a little bit about how you teach Reiki and maybe how your, yeah, training and your process is different than the weekend one-off, we're in, yeah. we're out. <laughs> um. So
1: I'm still, I've been practicing for a very long time, but this is actually my first time starting to teach. So this will continue to expand and evolve. Um, but, uh, I choose to teach Reiki over the course of three months right now. Um, I'm actually going to change that to six months. Um, so like my June cohort that will be a six month long program. Um, and really for me, I'm just trying to be in relationship with the practice and teach others how to be in relationship with the practice rather than in consumption of the practice or in the transaction of the practice Mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is that if i were to hold a weekend workshop on how to do reiki it's basically like a product that like somebody just comes and they give you money for it and then like at the end that transaction is done and we're not really you know i know some people have some teachers who are really great and they've like have relationships with their teachers after their workshops Um, but for me uh, in teaching reiki it's really about developing a relationship with the teacher. And because the teacher is what holds us accountable, what, you know, pushes us to be self-disciplined and also, you know, disciplines us to an extent. Um, And I just don't think that like most Reiki teachers out there or Reiki quote unquote masters, I don't call myself a master. um, They like wouldn't even know how to facilitate a relationship with a student for six months or longer, um, because maybe their their knowledge is only so limited that it can only fit within a weekend and that's it. Um, that could be it. Maybe their practice is only you know so limited that it can only really their techniques their you know understanding of everything is only can fit within a weekend. Um, but yeah, so. I choose to facilitate over three months to six months, um, and we do daily practice um, throughout the entirety of that time. Obviously I'm not present with them, but we do like initial kind of workshops on certain breathing techniques, cultivation techniques, and then those, we build upon those throughout the three months, six months, um, to really cultivate Reiki, um, rather than being just like given it for an exchange of money, um, actually creating the circumstances within somebody's body, mind, spirit that produce Reiki or that um, allow ourselves to be a sacred container for it, um, rather than the attunement process. um, And I also choose to um, teach it through like, a social justice lens. So it's really about how do we actually center our business and our practice um, around community care um, and providing tools for that um, rather than I don't know, because I just like, I want to dismantle capitalism. I think that we can do that within our own individual lives. And one way that we can do that is like, if we do have a business for our healing work, figuring out ways that are more than just like the sliding scale option and like a couple of scholarships to actually be focused on the dismantling of systems of violence that cause people to need those things in the first place. And like, let's stop complaining about diversity and actually do something about the circumstances in which keep people from being in that class. Um, So like at, I think about 70% of the people in my class right now are on like partial default full scholarship. Um, I might bring that number down a little bit to about 50% in for the next time that we do that. Um, and then the other portion of the how I choose to teach is the ancestral healing part um, because I really think that that's at the root of all of this. Um, and I, from just from the past few weeks, it seems like that is really the aspect that people are really, really wanting and needing in addition to like Japanese culture and like learning about, you know, our practices and all of that. Um, But also the ancestral healing component has really touched people. Um, And it's just like the most important part. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, and so we really focus on different embodiment practices that help us get into relationship with our ancestors. It's not something where like, oh, you're going to show up and I'm going to teach you these things and then like. You're just you're going to be connected to your ancestors. It's the same thing with with Reiki. Like we don't just like practice Reiki. We don't just have ancestors. We are in relationship with our ancestors. We are in relationship with Reiki, um, and just changing the language as well as the processes um, that you know in which we interact with these things.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned attunements, I attunements were something that never made sense to me in my Reiki trainings because on the one hand we were learning that like Reiki, this energy is something that's innate within you, but then we also needed our teacher to like give it to us, kind of so that never really made sense to me, but I just felt like I guess that's just how it is, like that's just how Reiki is, but Yeah, I would be curious to hear if you want to talk a little bit more about that, like what Mm -hmm. the deal with attunements is.
1: Yeah, Um, so I personally do not do attunements. Um, I'm hoping that COVID allowing, I'll be able to do an initiation ceremony um, Mm -hmm. for all of my students, but not an attunement ceremony, quote unquote. Um, Attunements were a practice of specifically Sui Reiki, Um, but not in the way that we would understand them now. It wasn't like, um, you go to a ceremony and then you get an attunement. It was like, here, we're practicing today. You've gotten to a certain point. So now we're going to sit together for like 30 minutes and I'm going to attune you or, you know, share with you my energy for a few moments. Um, and that could repeat itself, you know, dozens of times throughout somebody's, you know, uh, student teacher relationship with Isui. Um, and that's also another thing is that like Reiki in the Asui method was like you work with a teacher for multiple years, you know, and like, that's kind of why I decided to not charge for like my services or like jump into having a Reiki business. I was like, I'm going to sit with this and like actually work at it for like five or more years. Um, but the attunements specifically. Um, So they were a a part of a sui reiki. I haven't really been able to see if they've also been a part of other forms of reiki. Um, I know for a fact that um, my personal lineage, um, our medicine women did a practice that was called palm healing. Um, So in Ainu it's uh, tekeinu. Um, And that was specifically passed down. Um, There was like an initiation process for that, Um, but INU practices are very closed. So there wouldn't be any point in um, replicating that process for anybody else, unless they're INU. But yeah, for the same reason that you stated is why I also don't do attunements. it doesn't make any sense to me that something that is innate and intrinsic to having a spiritual life being a spiritual being being a human being um which is absolutely spiritual um that we would need you know these attunements and really i think that that's what people are paying for when they go to get a training it's like you can find anything about reiki on the internet now so But they have um, a monopoly on who can be attuned because only a Reiki master, quote unquote, can be attuned, which the master thing is like a recent phenomenon within Western Reiki specifically. um, And you'll hear more about that tomorrow in the workshop. (laughs) Um, So yeah, um, I know that some people still, like people that I work with, like who are colleagues of mine, who I respect their practice, they still decide to do attunements, and I think that that's great. Some people really like benefit and you know see a lot of value in the attunement process. Um, however, I personally just because of the way that I teach, because there's no like disciplined practice when you are just given something. If you aren't given the opportunity to cultivate that that strength, that skill, that power then you aren't gonna be able to know how to use it when you receive it. Mm -hmm. And there's no like follow up with these weekend workshop Reiki masters. You know, they don't necessarily have like enduring relationships with their students. That is about practice, discipline, you know, commitment. Um, And I think that that's really an issue. And when we cultivate power, we are able to use it so much more effectively, so much more efficiently, um, and also like the whole point of all of the like pillars of Reiki, which are embedded in these Shinto practices, is becoming a like returning to a natural state within the body, um, and different embodiment practices that allow for that process to happen, um, so that this energy can flow through us really efficiently. Um, And so, yeah, people don't really emphasize that so much either. Um, Yeah, so, but I don't, I don't mean to discredit people, you know, uh, other teachers, um, practitioners, uh, you know, Reiki has such a valuable, you know, role in a lot of people's lives and has healed a lot of people, even though it is Western, you know, this, this like uh bastardized version of what it really is um speaks to the power of it um but i guess also just kind of reckoning with the fact that like has it been valuable to you or are you just exploiting a cultural technology and a cultural resource that doesn't have a limit you know Mm -hmm. when we think about how Reiki came to the United States and how it's practiced today. It's like this unlimited quote unquote energy source that people are just literally like extracting um, without really understanding anything about the lineage from which it comes from. Um, And I think that that's problematic. Um, So I guess my my like request for people because I I really don't like to tell people that they're like you're doing it wrong you know that's not a business for me like I don't I don't get anything from that like I don't want to create a business nor like my role as a teacher I do not want my role as a teacher to be rooted in just like judging other people and their practices it's like You know, I like I'm part of some Facebook like Reiki groups and I just go on there to like laugh. And like sometimes if I get if I'm angry and I want a place to just like be angry for a second, I'll just like scroll through.
0: It doesn't feel like that at all to me. It feels like your business and your work is really rooted in like a love for Reiki and for spiritual practice and healing and orienting towards that and yeah ancestral healing and talking about things that aren't okay and violence is is part of that but orienting towards a love for reiki and for healing so yeah thank you yeah (laughs) yeah i want to ask you the last question that i always ask on this show which is just what does living open mean to you what comes up when you hear that
1: Mm. I think living open to me uh, means really being like a clear and open vessel for spirit. Um, So much of like the embodiment practices that I do, that I engage in, um, are really just like physical embodiments of the intention that I want to be a sacred container. Um, and so, yeah, that is like what living open feels like to me is, um, really not removing, but just, um, pushing out or like releasing the parts of myself that get stuck on things. Um, you know, some people might call this like the ego, um, For me it's just like returning to like a most the most natural state of being as possible and really realigning with what it means to be a human connected to the earth
0: yeah that's so beautiful can you let everyone know where they can find you follow you how they can work with you
1: yeah. Um so my primary um social media is at moonhouse northwest. So it's moonhouse NW. Um and my website is the same. Um Yeah. I Yeah.
0: That's pretty much it. <laughs> -hmm. I'll link to it so everyone can find you. And now I'm like, I should have known you were in the Northwest. It's literally in his name. (laughs) Yep. Born and raised. I have never lived anywhere else. So (laughs) amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and everything you shared. And yeah, I think it's gonna help a lot of people. Thank you so much, Erin thank you so much for listening if you loved this episode please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on i appreciate it so so much and it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show with an indie podcast you can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description and i'll be back on monday with another episode make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on instagram at erynj underscore or patreon until then